As we continue worshiping together today, please rise as you are able, and you may turn in your favorite Bible app or the Pew Bible and receive this reading from the Gospel according to Luke chapter 15. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, and no one gave him anything. When he, gave, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough and to spare? But here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to celebrate. Receive what the Spirit is saying. Thanks be to God. There is a long tradition in Christian circles of telling stories about what God has done in our lives. And it's generally called giving a testimony. But today, I want to share a sermon as testimony. Most sermons are in, any, in, in many ways already a testimony. But today in particular, it's what God has led me to do, to share part of my testimony. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you. For you alone, O oh God, are our rock, our redeemer, and our true home. Amen. The Ayurveda doctor came into my room and felt my pulse. There is an anxiety in the heart, he said. Unanswered questions, fear, depression, he said. He wasn't wrong. This conversation happened on March the 1st of this year, six weeks into my spiritual and health renewal leave and four days into my treatment at the Waijagrama Healing Village 
outside the city of Coimbatore in the southern Indian state of Tamil Nadu. At that point, my whole system was in the early stages of detox and cleansing and rebalancing and renewal, which was the process that I had signed up for. <laughs> and those early stages were less than pleasant, both spiritually and emotionally and physically. There is an anxiety in the heart, he said. Now, I don't know how he knew that just by feeling my pulse. <laughs> But he was right. There were all the old anxieties that I had hauled halfway around the world with me. Fear and regret and disappointment and grief. And there were newer anxieties about whether I would be able to ever really feel healthy again. There was anxiety that even this rather extreme healing process and the interruption in my normal mode of living, that even that was not going to be able to shake me out of patterns of over-functioning and over-responsibility that I had been trying to shake off for years. Beloved, over the last five months, I have been on a journey. I was unwell for quite some time, and acutely so, all of last year. I think most of you weren't aware of that, and I am glad. There was no need to broadcast it. And I had amazing support from my husband Anthony, from close friends, and from the members of the board and the staff here at Foundry who I kept abreast of what was going on. And you don't need to worry, because I am fine. I am well. I am healthy, thanks be to God. <laughs> Amen. Amen. I share some of this today not because I need anything more from you than you have already so generously given, but because much of what I've learned is bound up with the healing journey. And so that is what I want to share. Anthony likes to remind me that it was not just getting through COVID or general conferences or even my father's death that spurred my ever-increasingly failing health, but rather 22 years of ministry without a significant break, all in stressful contexts in their own way, while at the same time managing various stressful realities of my own life, just like all of us experience. Even my regular habits of Sabbath-keeping and covenant groups and annual retreats were not sufficient to fill a well whose resources were shrinking every day without enough input to keep up with the output. Truth be told, what finally got me to request a leave, I was really, really stubborn, by the way. 
That may come as a surprise to some, but not all. What finally got me to request a leave was not that I was feeling physically and mentally crummy most of the time, but rather the realization that I had reached a point where I was not able to care for this community with the energy and the excellence that I expected of myself. And once the parameters of the renewal leave were set, I committed to use the time given very intentionally. A core goal of my leave was to be restored to health and strength. Another was to deeply rest and play, to do things that would nourish my spirit. In many ways, I approached the leave like an extended spiritual retreat, building in time for stillness and for silence. And those things were scattered and part of everything that I did, but a lot of what I did was move. I traveled near and far. Sometimes there would be a few days between trips, sometimes weeks. My last piece of work in January of this year before stepping into the renewal leave was to co-lead a two-week trip to the Holy Land with about 100 women from across the country, six of whom from Foundry, fabulous Foundry women, I might add. And then after that, I moved into the leave, still pushing and planning. There was a little relaxing on the beach with Anthony up top of the time. There was a long weekend in Oklahoma to celebrate my mother's 80th birthday. And then, finally, the thing I had been so focused on, a month in India. After that, there were trips to Texas and out to Oregon and up to Boston, some with Anthony and family, others on my own. And the balance of the time that I was away was spent in my flower garden, easing back into regular exercise, puttering about the house, attending to projects that had been patiently waiting for attention for months, if not years, and enjoying and caring for our furry brood, one of whom, our dear Harvey, is not long for this world. Each of my travels were rich with experience and gifts of all kinds. And I racked up some serious frequent flyer miles. But the journey that will have the most lasting impact is the inward journey. I was on that journey, whether I was at home or on a plane or on a train or in a tuk-tuk, or an automobile. I especially was aware of my prayer life when I was in the tuk-tuk. Let me just say that. <sighs> There's some serious praying going on a few times. But I really didn't stop the kind of pushing and go, go, go planning until I landed that day in late February at Wajigrama, the Ayurveda Treatment Center. Many of you may not know anything about Ayurveda, may, you've never heard of it before. It's an ancient Indian system of healing that is grounded in the five elements of fire, water, air, earth, and space. There's no distinction between body, mind, and spirit in this approach. So whatever is happening in the physical body is understood to affect the spirit and vice versa. 
The treatment I received is called panchakarma, and it's a holistic cleanse of toxins that are causing distress in the system and a rebalancing of the whole self. A typical minimum duration of this treatment is three weeks, and during my weeks-long treatment, I was very quiet, very still. I took natural medicines. I have no idea what was in them. Let me just tell you, they were cooking stuff up back in a little room in the back corner. I was like, whatever they give me in the little metal cup, okay, that's what I'm here for. I was taking these medications several times a day. I received various kinds of massage. Some of that was really lovely,、um, and then some other procedures which were a little less enjoyable. There was simple food, warm medicated water to drink all day long. I was not to exercise beyond slow walks, slow walks. Around the covered portico. If you've ever seen me making laps around this building, that was not allowed. I was not allowed to step outside into the sun or the wind without my head and my ears covered. Every part of the experience was designed to treat the body, mine and those others who were there for the treatment, with such tender care. In my room, I prayed. I spent a lot of time in my room. I was encouraged to chant, and so I sung Teze chants. I listened to mindfulness teachings from Thich Nhat Han. I journaled. I played a lot of solitaire. I just sat quietly for long periods of time. I had every emotion under the sun, and not just the pleasant ones. I listened to the birds and to the Indian music piped over loudspeakers from a Hindu festival happening in the next village, which, by the way, started one day randomly at 5 a.m. and went for about eight days, and every day lasted until midnight. It was special. <laughs> hmm. And at some point in the process. The anxiety in the heart, the fear, the regret, the disappointment, the grief, began to dislodge, shaken loose from their calcified stronghold. I began to be able to see the residues that had been there, and I realized that I had unwittingly. Been attributing more power to my fears and their sources than to God. I had, I had been living as though old narratives of my life, those old tapes. Do you know what I'm talking about? The old narratives of my life were more true than God's promise of new life. I had been living as though General Conference, General Conference, had more power over the people of God than the Living Christ. As though what people have said about me, or thought about me, or done to me, are more true than what God knows of me.
as though politicians and principalities and powers of this world determine the fate of the future rather than the one who is the very source of all life. I'd been unwittingly living as though all these things and more had power over parts of me, living as though I wasn't free or safe or held in the very palm of God's hand. And to be clear, I knew better. It's not like God and I weren't in constant contact. We hang out. The awareness of and the need to release these things, the desire to be set free, were not new to me. I've been working on this stuff for years. And in my mind, intellectually, I could proclaim my faith all the way through. But the Waija, the doctor, put his finger on the pulse of my heart and found there its anxiety. And in the days that followed, Jesus spoke to me through these lines from Revelation chapter 2 from the message translation. I see what you've done, Jesus said, your hard, hard work, your refusal to quit. I know you can't stomach evil. I know your persistence, your courage in my cause that you never wear out. But you walked away from your first love. Why? What's going on with you? Do you have any idea how far you've fallen? Turn back. Recover your dear early love. No time to waste. And here's what I've learned. We can know in our minds that we're not God. that everything's not up to us to try to fix or save. We can know in our minds that we don't have to be perfect or to never get things wrong in order to be loved. We can know in our minds that we need not fear because God has promised to bring us through the high waters and the raging fires of life. We can know in our minds that new every morning is God's love and that all day long God is working for good in the world. We can know in our minds that God's mercy is everlasting and that we are not the worst thing we've ever done. We can know these things at a certain level, but until that knowledge is wed with trust in our hearts, we will not be at peace. We will not be at peace. We will be tempted to focus on all the evils outside in this world and be drawn out of ourselves. We will be pulled back into dwelling on the failures in our lives or to run ourselves into the ground and to say it's for God's sake and for the good of others when really it's an attempt to prove we're okay or worthy or good. Even when we try to release 
The things that do harm, the residues of those things can linger and tuck in and hide in the deepest crevices of our hearts. And our hearts can grow heavy, so heavy with those residues that they become worn down so that the powers of this world begin to loom larger than they really are, as though they had power greater than God's. We can get taken hostage by temptations and lies and be led to walk away from our first love. But Jesus calls us back to our true home. And I wonder anew why the younger son in the well-known parable today walked away from his father. He was loved and was safe and had all he needed to thrive. What was he trying to find? Adventure, love, power, himself? He may have had an adventure, but it landed him in a pigsty, hungry and alone, with no one to help. Verse 17 says, when he came to himself, I've always been struck by that line. When he came back to himself, when he came back to his body, to his own two feet, to the life that was right in front of him, when he came to his senses, he remembered that there was a home that had been there all along where all the love and provision he needed was found. He could turn back. It was possible to change the trajectory of his life. He was not stuck. He could humble himself and ask for help. He could return to the first love, the divine parent. The late spiritual teacher Henry Nouwen writes this. The first love says... You are loved long before other people can love you or you can love others. You are accepted long before you can accept others or receive their acceptance. You are safe long before you can offer or receive safety. Home is the place where that first love dwells and speaks gently to us. Nowen says, it requires discipline to come home and listen, especially when our fears are so noisy that they keep driving us outside of ourselves. But when we grasp the truth that we already have a home, we may at last have the strength to unmask the illusions created by our fears and continue to return again and again and again. My journey and the journey of the younger son in the parable are different. But we both ended up in the same place, on the path toward home, toward the first love. Jesus calls all of us to seek that path. It's the path that leads to freedom, the path that leads to joy, the path that leads to courage, 
The path toward our first love, toward home, is the path that leads to abundant life even in the midst of the challenges of this world. It is the path that allows us to be home in our own skin, knowing ourselves, knowing ourselves worthy of care and of love, knowing ourselves forgiven and accepted and safe in the embrace of a God who runs to greet us when we return again and again and again. And knowing it not only in our mind, but knowing it in our heart, in our being. Poet and prophet Wendell Berry writes, the world cannot be discovered by a journey of miles no matter how long, but only by a spiritual journey, a journey of one inch, very arduous and humbling and joyful, by which we arrive at the ground at our own feet and learn to be home. My outward travels supported my experience over the past five months, but it is the inward spiritual journey that has led me home that has led me out of fear and into freedom, from depletion to fullness, from dullness to hope, and from grief to gratitude. As a matter of fact, at some point after returning from India, which was really the turning point in my time, as you may imagine. A song started popping up in my head. It would just, just pop in there over and over again. It's a song, by the way, that our choir sings. And it became a daily prayer that would come often and was so welcomed. You know the song. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, I thank you, Lord. Why? Because you've brought me from a mighty long way. The journey of healing and deepening faith is not over, but oh my goodness. I thank, <laughs> I thank Jesus for bringing me from a mighty long way. It can happen for all of us, we're not stuck. The path is open. The arms are open. Thanks be to God. <laughs>